hey, when you see me like this, you know what it means. This is about the Chris Cuomo Project podcast, Oliver Stone, and his co-writer on his new movie, Nuclear Now, are going to be on the podcast talking about one of the most controversial subjects, one of the most dangerous conversations we're not having about nuclear power as part of the solution for a green economy. Support for the Chris Cuomo Project comes from AG1. Man, oh man, if you are a listener, you know how I feel about Athletic Greens, okay? AG1 has been a go-to for me for years. Why? It's easier. It's price effective. And it's better. Instead of all the different bottles and how many pills and at what time and in what combinations, they did all the research so I could have complete confidence in my routine. One and done, man. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs. Gut optimization, stress management, immune support. So for me, I really combined all of these different needs into one one, which became AG1, right? Every scoop, probiotics, the digestive enzymes for gut support, magnesium, which is big for me, B vitamins, energy support, adaptogens, they're all in there in the right levels, right combinations to help support immune health. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs every day. And that's why they've been a partner for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. If you try AG1, you're going to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2, and you're going to get five free AG1 travel packs. That's just with the first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash ccp. Drinkag1.com slash ccp. Check it out. Support for the Chris Cuomo Project comes from AG1. Listen, my brothers and sisters, you know that I take my health seriously, right? I'm an aging athlete. I'm dealing with long COVID. That's why AG1 is a big part of my game, and I have been taking it for many years. Why? Because it's one and done. I don't have to worry about the combinations. I don't have to worry about the price the same way. It's so much less expensive than taking all these things separately. And... It's the deliverability. It's just a scoop and a glass of warm water for me, but you can put a scoop of it in whatever you want. And boop, down the hatch, and that's that. People ask me all the time, AG1, do you really take it? Yeah, it's all over my house. And I've been drinking it for a long time, and I think it works. I have partnered with AG1 for so long because they make a high-quality product that I trust to have as part of my routine every day. So, you want to replace whatever you're doing now? Start AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription at drinkag1.com slash ccp. That's drinkag1.com slash ccp. Check it out. Gentlemen, thank you so much uh, to discuss your very ambitious product, uh, Oliver Stone, let me start with you. Uh, doing a documentary about nuclear power is very ambitious. Why did you want to take on this task? Uh, well, it was, uh, if I knew what I was in for, I might have reconsidered. 
uh, it was very difficult to, let's say, two and a half years. I took it on because I was scared. I was concerned for the future. I've heard all the, seen many of the debates and documentaries about it. And frankly, it was confusing points of view. Josh uh, Goldstein's book was reviewed uh, along with his co-writer, Stefan Sist, a Swedish nuclear engineer. Uh, their book, A Bright Future, came out in 2019 and was positively reviewed by the New York Times. Richard Rhodes, um, uh, and uh, Richard Rhodes is knowledgeable about nuclear energy and bomb, too. And uh, I bought the book, bought the rights, and I found Josh very cooperative because he wanted to get it out there. Of course, it's a it's a dry book. It's not a movie. So I have the, personally, I had the problem of translating it into terms that could be grasped by, I hope, a ninth grader or an eighth grader, able to be understood and answer my own questions. It was my own search. What is nuclear energy? How did, where did it start? What happened to it? Why, where are we now? What happens in the future? These are the five different areas. And we tried to answer all these questions in an hour 44. Not easy. Well, but you're starting at zero to negative because people have a lot of stigma about nuclear energy and nobody discusses it when it comes to any of the solutions of moving away from fossil fuels, despite the fact that the United States, based on whose number you want to use, has somewhere between 15 and 20 percent of its power still coming from nuclear. We all watched what just happened in California, uh, where they couldn't shut down a plant. But what I think is interesting about the film you guys made are the multiple points of reference. You just don't dive into America's past and present. You have France, Russia, and of course, your book, uh, Professor, was contextualized around what Sweden was trying to do. So why do you believe, Professor, that the rest of the world has such a different attitude than one of the first and most influential adapters of nuclear power being the United States? Well, it varies a lot from one country to another. Um, you know, France is pro-nuclear Germany, not so much, although the people like it, but the, not the government. Um, it's been a, a tragedy that the United States, which started it and which really should be leading the whole thing, um, turned against it during those years in the 1970s. The environmental movement, you know, flipped. It used to be pro-nuclear uh, because it's so pro-environmental. It's one reason I love it. So compact, so powerful, takes up very little land, uses very few resources, et cetera. But then flipped against it um, because of fear and fear of radioactivity, um, helped along by some opposition by the coal and oil industries. At that time, we saw it as a threat. Um, and because of that, the United States... Um, you know, went off track. What one thing we we find shocking when you look at the movie or the or the story behind it is that the U.S. was on track, and I think the rest of the world would have followed to to decarbonize our economy. If we kept on the path we were on in the 1970s, we wouldn't be burning fossil fuels now. We would literally have switched over to a carbon-free nuclear economy worldwide, and we wouldn't have the problem that we have now about climate change. It's such a difficult problem, climate change now, but it was actually very tractable at that time. And we went away from it. Now, other countries drew their own conclusions and a, a place like France went in for nuclear back several decades ago because starting with the energy crisis in the 1970s, they realized that they were insecure when their energy was coming from somewhere else 
it could be cut off and their economy was helpless. Mm -hmm. So with nuclear, they're in control of their own destiny. They built it out very fast in 15 years, and that's a proven example that we know others can follow. And as our book talks about Sweden, you know, similar thing, build it very quickly, switch over and decarbonize the economy. So this is something that's a, a proven model the world could follow. Some places are very comfortable with it, but other places, um, especially where the the fear factor has been hyped up by opponents, um, then not so much. And so, as you say, we're starting out with a lot of fear and we have to dispel the fear. But but the point of the movie is not that we have the answer, the program that everybody has to follow, but that we need to have the conversation. We need to put nuclear on the agenda and, and see what role it's going to play and not have it be a taboo subject that everyone's too afraid to talk about. Oliver, how do you demystify a boogeyman? <laughs> well, as you know, my film work has done that to some degree. I mean, I've, I, I, I like to go after the lie. There's always a lie at the, in the base of the story. And that lie is propagated again and again. I, that's what interests me. I, I guess I'd like to shake it up because this is a lie and it destroyed a great opportunity. It's a lost opportunity. It was a great moment in time. It, we don't have respect for what Marie Curie did and Einstein supported and Fermi and all the scientists of that era of this era, of the World War II era, supported this. They saw the future, and now they still do. When we walked, we went around Russia, we went around uh, uh, France, we went to the U.S. to the Idaho Engineering Lab there, advanced nuclear. We, everybody you talk to knows that it works, and it can work big time, and, need, and we need it. But the consensus in Washington is positive, too. I mean, this this. The, either you're, there's no fight between Democrats and Republicans about it. They, they, there is a bipartisan agreement. It's simply the will to do. Now, Biden started out with the will to do, but he obviously the, he had bill, his bill in Congress was had other problems, and uh, there's been no talk about it. It's kind of easily disappeared. It's easier for it to disappear and not be talked about. But that's not dealing with the issue. It doesn't have a constituency. Solar. Uh, and other adaptive, new or green or whatever moniker you want to use, businesses have more developed lobbies, uh, more hands out, uh, and they are more aggressive with the politics right now, solar, wind, than nuclear is. So that's why for politicians, we know that, you know, the only green that's really going to get their attention is, of course, cash. So they're dealing with it on that level. Nuclear hasn't presented that opportunity. But they also have leverage on storytellers like you, professors like you, um, Joshua, and uh, journalists like me, which is the are you nuts pushback, which is nuclear. Are you nuts? Haven't you watched The Simpsons? Uh, don't you know that if it goes wrong, we all die and that what you have to store basically destroys the planet? I mean, you might be better off breathing coal 24 hours a day. At least it's not going to kill everybody within a time zone. How do you deal with that first from a story perspective, Oliver? And then we'll talk about how you debunk the merits uh, from the mythology. You deal with it with facts. Facts. First of all, you examine, you, you talk about what nuclear is, its origins in the universe. It's always been there. You talk about the heat that comes from the earth. You, and then you bring it into the new age with Marie Curie and Einstein and 
Fermi and these people, you explain how it was derailed in the 1970s. First of all, it was brought in in the 1930s and 40s during the war. And that was an unfortunate tragedy of history is that war was going on and it was used for the wrong reasons as a bomb. But the bomb is quite different than nuclear energy. And we try to explain that in the movie. It's not enriched in, uh, in uranium. It's essentially you have to build to get in the... Uh, Josh is much better at explaining this than I am, but that misunderstanding was there at the beginning. And on top of that, there's a huge misunderstanding about radioactive waste. Uh, I, I like to, I'll turn it over to a scientist. You, you describe it, the differences, uh, Josh. And there, Oliver, it's an important perspective from you, though, because people have sought out, especially, you know, your work, let's say, in the second third of your career, because I believe that you have a whole third in front of you, um, yeah. of you well, taking on challenging concepts and making people think about what they thought they knew. So this is a great team. This is why I was so um, stoked to hear that you guys were doing it. So Josh, in terms of dealing from uh, you know the perspective, I looked at a lot of the comments about your book. The more um, sophisticated the person who's talking about the book, A Bright Future, the more deferential they are. And the farther they go towards politics or different agendas, the more boogeyman it is, whereas, you know, these, this is just crazy talk. And that's very unusual when it comes to policy, that an idea is dismissed as almost insane on its face. What do you do with that? Well, and so if you ask physicists about nuclear power, you know, 80% of them support it. If you ask the people who understand it, people who live close to a nuclear plant, you'd think they would be the most scared, but they're the most supportive. They understand it. And so... Uh, there are topics like climate change where the people who understand it the most are the most afraid. But this is the opposite. The people who understand it the most are the least afraid. And the people who don't know about it um, are the most afraid. I mean, it's straight out of the polling data. If you ask people, how much do you know about it and how scared are you? Um, so that's, that's one problem. And then you touched on another that the nuclear industry doesn't have a natural constituency it's not like, you know, Wyoming with coal or Texas with oil or, you know, there's not a place that, that has an investment in it um, that's going to benefit especially. And a lot of the big nuclear plants that we have are owned by utility companies, which also own fossil fuel comp you know, plants. So they have a portfolio that's mostly gas uh, or maybe some coal and then and some renewables and also some nuclear. So they're not really committed to it per se. And if there's a lot of trouble and pushback, as we had here, the nuclear plant that used to supply my house until less than a decade ago, Vermont Yankee, uh, just it's up against all the subsidies for the competing renewables and all the political opposition. The Vermont legislature didn't want it and so forth. And the company was also running gas plants. So eventually it's like, this isn't worth it. Shut it down and we'll benefit from our gas. So there's no constituency for it. And then in the countries with the parliamentary system where the Green Party has the decisive, perhaps small, but decisive block of votes to make a government, to get the majority in a parliament. And this was true in Sweden and Germany and Belgium. Um, and then their demand is, we'll join the government. You can have a government with us. You can't without us but you have to shut down your nuclear plants. So the, there's an anti-nuclear constituency out there with political power, even though the majority of the population in those countries actually supports nuclear. 
Support for the Chris Cuomo Project comes from Done With Debt. This is a big one, especially in America, man. You need Done With Debt. If you're one of us who's addicted to credit, you need Done With Debt because you're going to bed thinking about how much you owe and what the minimum amount payable is and what are you going to do and you're never going to get out from under it. And look, is it your fault? Yeah, in part, take responsibility for your spending, but also... The system traps you in debt. High interest credit cards and loans. It's almost impossible to pay off your debt once you get into that cycle. Insane inflation keeps you stuck paycheck to paycheck. And that's why you need Done With Debt. Because Done With Debt is your lifeline. Done With Debt has an ingenious new strategy to help you deal with debt faster than most of us would think possible. Done With Debt analyzes your debt gives you options that you'll qualify for. Done With Debt knows how to reduce bills, cut interest rates. They've got skilled staff at Done With Debt that will negotiate, figure out how to get better deals. So here's how easy they'll make it. Go to donewithdebt.com, donewithdebt.com, and start getting out from under the problem and toward the solution. You got debt? You need done with debt. Support for the Chris Cuomo Project comes from Cozy Earth. Let me tell you, bedding matters. And this isn't just me telling you this. In a recent survey, seven out of 10 parents said that they get an average of three hours of sleep a night in the baby's first year. Hello, Greg. Now, mommies need quality sleep and bedding will matter. There are other variables, but here's one that you can control, okay? When we made the switch to Cozy Earth, I noticed the difference. I did not know that fabric or textiles could really be temperature sensitive, meaning if it's cold, they keep you warm. If it's warm, they can kind of cool you off. I did not know that. I know it now because I have Cozy Earth, okay? So this Mother's Day, Why don't you treat the mamas in your life to the luxury they deserve with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize her self-care and sleep health? Doesn't she deserve it? Mm -hmm. Don't forget, use my promo code Chris at checkout and you get 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Okay? When you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop-down And that will make me very happy. So you have a three-headed dog. You have the disaster, the storage, and the water uh, that it takes. And these are the most common cudgels, right? Um, So tick through them um, and leave water for last because I I get why they talk about how much water is necessary and what it does to that water. I, I get why they raise it. I don't think it's a substantiated concern, but it sounds good. So when people say to you, you can't store the stuff, and if something goes wrong, it's an absolute disaster, uh, if anything goes wrong, and it uses a ton of water. The, it's, ne- it's never been a disaster, really. There was one accident, Chernobyl, you could call it a disaster because, um, you know, like 100 people. Fukushima. Fukushima, nobody died from the nuclear plant at Fukushima. 18,000 people died from tsunami. Dozens of miles are uninhabitable. The animals drop dead. The whole landscape is destroyed. I haven't seen it, but I've heard. From Fukushima. That's what they say. 
Well, the landscape was destroyed by a tsunami. It was the worst earthquake in Japanese right. history, and they have a lot of them. So um, the people cross wire in their minds, either in the case of Three Mile Island, it was a film, The China Syndrome, that was in theaters about how dangerous nuclear was, um, and much worse than what happened in the, the actual accident. In um, Chernobyl, that was a real accident, but in Fukushima, it was cross-wired with the earthquake and tsunami. That's what was killing all the people. And so, um, you know, it's hard for people to sort it out if the journalists don't do a careful job of telling you what's killing people. Um, but this idea that when something goes wrong, it goes very wrong, it's not true. I mean, if you look at statistics, as I like to do, numbers, um, nuclear is by far the safest form. It's at least as safe as wind and solar and hundreds of times safer than coal, which is still the number one way that the world makes electricity. So um, this idea of the disasters is just way off base. But what, what's happened is, okay, so this is not a popular thing for me to say, but I actually believe it, that if we had more nuclear accidents, we'd be better off because we would learn to live with them. They'd be like airplane crashes. You know, oh my God, an airplane crashed and 300 people were killed. And that's, that's a disaster. But we go on and learn from it and build better airplanes. And then we keep flying because it works. It's convenient. We want to do it. So if we'd had that with nuclear power, we would have said, oh, my God, Chernobyl, you know, 100 people died. Um, but instead, because it almost never happens, and in the U.S. Navy, which has hundreds of uh, reactors over the years, it's never happened. Never been a radiological incident. And so then that becomes the standard. Nothing must ever go wrong. It must be really dangerous if we're being so careful to make sure nothing ever happens wrong. But if we're going to build out nuclear on a large scale, as I think we should because of the climate situation, um, there will be accidents and people will die. They do in any industry. But you always have to say compared to what? You know, coal kills people from cancer, emphysema, heart disease, just routinely. When it, on a good day, when coal is operating perfectly, it's killing people. And on a bad day, nuclear power hardly kills anybody. So that's, that's the uh, disasters. It's, it's just completely overhyped for what it is. Look at the numbers. Look at our world and data, you know, different ways of generating electricity and how safe or dangerous they are. And storage and water? And the, uh, the so-called nuclear waste is spent fuel that's come out of the reactor. It still has a lot of energy in it. Um, you cool it off in cools for a while and then put it in dry casks. The cask, I've stood right next to them. The concrete absorbs the radiation. You don't need special gear or anything. Um, they're not posing any danger. They're good for at least 100 years. The short answer is solve climate change first and then uh, do something with those spent fuel casks. Incidentally, one thing you can do with them is to burn that so-called waste in new reactors. Still got most of its energy in it. Another thing you can do with it, which Finland is doing now, is put it deep underground in repositories. It's never going to hurt anybody. Nuclear waste um, has the unique property that it gets less dangerous over time because of radioactive decay. So, for instance, if you have a, a dump full of old wind turbines and solar cells that have much less coal waste, you know, these are full of toxic uh, elements like lead and cadmium and um, there's a mercury that are never going to get safer. Right. You know, a million years from now, they're still going to be dangerous. But with nuclear, it, yeah, after a few hundred years, it's mostly all radiated away and pretty safe. Okay, water is not needed for a nuclear reactor. There are new 
small reactors that don't use water. I mean, I'll call out Holtec 160 is a 160 megawatt reactor. They're making a deal with India to roll these out in the interior of India specifically because they don't need a water cooling source. If you're near a water and cooling source, like a river or an ocean, then it's convenient to cool it that way. Um, if you're not near them, then you put up these big cooling towers, which people seem to think are somehow dangerous. They're actually the least interesting part of a nuclear plant, but they've become the symbol of it, which is all wrong because coal plants have those same towers if they're not near a water source. So we've got these symbols and imagery and fears. It's all cross-wired, wrong in our brains, and people don't understand what's safe and dangerous. Other than that, we're really on track. <laughs> Oliver. Uh, the the metaphor of someone tilting at a windmill, the man of La Mancha, the, the idea of being quixotic, that you have a dream, but it can't happen. Do you think this may fall into this category and that it's just something that the American culture has decided to move past, no matter what the world does? Well, that's very important. I mean, the rest of the world is crucial. In the film, we say there's one billion people who are really, we consider first the first world, they have a lot of electricity. That's us, the advanced countries. But most of the world, there's 7 billion other people have limited electricity use. And some people, none, not at all, as we tried to show. So electricity is a worldwide concern. And the need for it is going to go up, we don't know, two to five times is estimated by 2050. That is an enormous figure. And it, how are we going to produce that electricity? How? How that amount of volume? I, I think we have to be more concerned about India and China and Africa and Asia. Now, the American people don't think of them first. They think about America first. So the argument is always American-centric. But the argument I was hoping is that America, first of all, would clean up its act and get with the public program. You see, in Russia, they have Rosatom. 200,000 people work for it. It's a government enterprise. In every country in the world, France... Uh, China, it's government-oriented. It's it's socialist, so to speak, but it's important that it's the kind of work Rosatom does that American companies cannot do. They build for profit, and they, they, they don't standardize. All we need is a standardized approach to assembly of these, of these nuclear reactors. If we could do what Japan did, stamp them off, or Korea, that's the solution, and it can be done. It may not be done at the price we like, because we, we've raised the price and now we're past that point. But China is still building at, what is it, a third of the cost, uh, Josh? China and uh, Korea are building at a third of the cost. Very effective. And we can do it. And in one year, they, how many Chinese, the Chinese put it up in what, a year approximately? Am I correct? I don't know. It's about, about five years and, a, and about a quarter of the cost. The same reactor that we're trying to finish in Georgia, trying to put four of them on the grid and, you know, just, just like that, fraction of the cost, fraction of the time. It doesn't have to be expensive and time consuming, but it is the way, the way we do it in the United States. As a dreamer, well, I'm hoping that there's some kind of consciousness is going around. So we look to another country. We didn't look to France. We didn't pay attention. It's a shame. But maybe we'll look to China if they start doing some things and doing them cheaply. Maybe we can change the way we approach this thing. One thing we could get rid of is some of these regulations, no question. The uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Josh has been against that from the beginning. It was always, it was always a bureaucratic item to. But it's easy because to an uninformed uh, electorate, let's say, or 
just, you know, ignorance within any constituency anywhere in the country. If you say that you're going to limit nuclear power, it sounds like you're doing something for the common good. You're keeping people safe. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting subject for you to take on, Oliver, because I know as an observer of yours, it's a point of pride that you make a difference in the topics that you take on. You want to move the needle. And the, the question yeah. is, can you move the needle on this when the resistance to it is generationally automatic? I notice in the media, often the journalists will say, uh, and nuclear power, and but it's dangerous. That's the first thought in there. They connect it to danger. Uh, it's, it's very hard when you have that kind of mentality, uninformed mentality. Everything's dangerous, but this is less dangerous compared to what? We should always ask compared to what? Compared to climate change, there's no doubt at all that this is the, we have to get enormous amount of power into the world. How do we do it any way we can? If we have to build SMRs in America, which are not going to deal with the real end problem, which is we need a lot, but at least if we build a, a few SMRs, put them in uh, coastal cities, ship them around like Koreans do and like the Russians are doing at Pevec, well, it start to, once it starts to happen as a dreamer, it starts to happen. More and more and more people believe in it. And that's what I'm hoping for. Do you that's expect kind of, it to be relevant in the upcoming elections, Oliver? And I doubt it. I, I doubt it. Uh, it's, I, I doubt it. You know more about the political process than I do. But I hope, I hope people would know the difference. You saw the ending of the movie. It's very hopeful. People would know the difference if we were doing it. If we could cut some of our emissions down, let's say 10, 15%, just start the process of cutting it down. That's what's amazing that we put in renewables, but we keep putting more, more carbon emissions in the air. I don't get it. We've spent a fortune. Germany is an idiotic country. They spent billions of dollars with all these renewables. And what happened? They, nothing. Then price of electricity went up. And now on Saturday night, they closed their last three reactors. Right. That's hopeless. Well, here's the, well, you better hope it's not hopeless because that's the whole point behind the, uh, the, the film that I hope people get from nuclear now. But Josh, um, here's the problem, professor, is that there's an easy counter argument, which is that is really in abundance in America, much more than any other natural resource, which is denial. Um, and it's not just denial about nuclear. It's that everything that you guys are predicating this conversation on is false. There is no real global warming. Temperature goes up, temperature goes down. And to the extent that's happening, it's a good thing. And it's like an eighth of an inch. And even former President Trump found a very hapless way to gain advantage off this in a recent interview where he says people talk about global warming. What they should be worried about is nuclear warming. Now, he made up a phrase that doesn't exist sitting across... <laughs> from a dog-faced man that just sat looking at him the way when you whistle at a Labrador, like this, huh? And he said, the nuclear, the nuclear warming, that's the thing all over the world, that's what we should worry about. He was obviously conflating ideas, but you know what? It worked, Professor. I saw on social media, eh? yeah, you know, he's right. They're worried about this like an eighth of an inch of the ocean. And meanwhile, like uh, the nuclear thing could kill everybody. That's the state of play. How do you deal with that, Professor? Well, so I'm motivated by climate change. That was why I got into this topic. But let's say that I 
agreed with a sizable number of people who don't believe climate change is happening. Um, and, you know, I'm a scientist. I'm not going to say I'm 100% sure of anything. You have to be open-minded about it. So there are people who say, no, I've looked at it and I think climate change is, is not happening or it's all a hoax whatever, you would still want to build nuclear power. In fact, some of the big supporters of nuclear power are people who don't believe in climate change. And the reason is, you know, it's really overdetermined. But if, let's say you're an old school environmentalist. You don't believe in climate change, but you like forests, you're a conservationist, you know. Then uh, the way to use the least resources uh, is to build nuclear power because it's so concentrated. It has a small footprint. It hardly uses any resources. You know, sort of the opposite of the sprawl of wind and solar. And the Sierra Club used to be pro-nuclear power. They had a whole campaign, atoms, not dams. You know, instead of building these hydro dams and, and flooding ecosystems, you know, with water and destroying them, you know, just build this little nuclear plant. Instead, it's much lighter on the earth. So, uh, or, or let's say you're like France and you just want energy security. You know, and you realize that if so, if your energy is coming from somewhere else, you don't control your destiny. Build nuclear power, then you then you're producing your own energy. Or let's say you just want uh, a strong economy because you're a politician, you want to get reelected, and you realize that nuclear power is the cheapest thing if you didn't screw it all up with the the way we're doing it in the, in America. But this whole issue, for me, cl climate change is is the big issue. And it's not going to be determined in Germany or the United States. It's going to be determined in those fast-growing countries, in uh, especially Asia, Southeast Asia. You know, the, the Indias and the um, uh, Indonesia, Vietnam. You know, countries that are growing fast. The electricity demand is rapidly escalating. They're heavily dependent on coal because it's the cheapest, easiest thing. And so, to my mind, that's that's the ultimate reason to like nuclear powers. That if we do it right, it'll be the cheapest form of energy. It used to be the cheapest thing when South Korea built multiple reactors in a row and got good at it. Uh, instead of how we do it in the U.S., it was cheaper than everything, including hydropower, including fossil fuel. They have to import their fossil uh, in Korea. And, um, and in France, it's cheap, uh, cheaper than Germany, cheaper than most of the neighboring countries. So if you like cheap energy or energy security or environmental conservation, there's just multiple reasons. And the only thing in the way of it is if you're afraid of it, which we are because we've been told with you know billions of dollars behind this propaganda campaign for decades to tell us that nuclear power is dangerous. And that's the lie. That's, the, that's what Oliver, I think, is attracted to in this project. Now, there's a big lie behind it. And it's just not true. Do you know when trains were first built, People were terribly afraid of them. They thought that you went so fast in the train that your brain would be pushed to the back of your head and terrible health effects would ensue. And so any new technology is, I think, uh, vulnerable to these kind of fears. But with the propaganda campaign behind it and Hollywood behind it, with all the movies about you know radiation scare of various kinds, um, we're up against a lot of fear. But we hope that the movie will open a space to start reconsidering it. We're not going to get everyone to flip their position overnight, but we want to get it on the, put it on the agenda, on the conversation. Well, Professor, you are new to the mass media uh, consuming of your ideas. Uh, Oliver Stone has made a unique market 
in uh, taking on controversy, being provocative. How does this project in its nascent stages of being consumed and commented on compared to others for you, Oliver? I don't know. It's been so long. Every time I finish a movie, I seem to get just somebody off, right? Uh-huh. So I'm used to it and it wears you down. I'm not young as you are, but you know, this thing, uh, it would, I would accept that no one listens. It's, it's happened before. So, you know, I have to accept these things, but it's so damn shame. I'm ashamed that we are such a smart people. We, so, we built computers. We built so many great things. We're doing so much on so many fronts. How can we be blind to this truth? That's what's amazing to me. And still, it's amazing. So I guess I would die amazed. There are worse ways to die. I, you know, one of the interesting things to me that I've become uh, a little bit of um, a student of predicting where people are going to be on what I'm covering to kind of help shape my coverage, to kind of address what I see as being some um, likely obstacles. And one of them that really made me laugh was when I was looking at people talking about Oliver Stone doing this story, the only word that would stick out for them other than nuclear was Russia. And I kept seeing these comments of, so Oliver Stone wants Russia to put nuclear plants in America? I mean, is that what he wants? Isn't that what Putin wants to kill us with all these nuclear reactors now? And it was so interesting to me that America has a unique aspect to its culture development right now, which is people run with what feels right, even if it's dead wrong. And that is some space to enter trying to tell people that they're wrong about something that nobody's ever corrected them about in a generation. I've been there, done that. I know what it feels like. Uh, so it's hard, you know, but what else do we, what else should I do? If I know better, I got to put it out there. I feel like we know better about this. We should grow up. And uh, in fact, as you know, I'm very much being partners with Russia, partners with China. This thing is, could, could happen, but then we turned our back on it. We went back to the Cold War thinking, which I find dinosaur age, and that's where we are. So we're there. But the world is going to go on, and the world will, will get worse this way, and people will do something. They will react eventually. So uh, it's, it's inevitable. Necessity forces change. Unfortunately, in America, it's going to take some huge necessity to make any changes. I don't know why, but that's, that seems to be the case. What has been the most optimistic uh, part of this since you started showing it to people? People get it. People get it. Young, a lot of young people, a lot of old people too. It's uh, people get it. I mean, it's clear that if, if you want to go looking for why it won't work, you'll find your reasons very easily because they're all out there. But the truth is, as, as Josh said, it does work. It does work. That's what's sick. Rickover would be turning over, Hyman Rickover would be turning over at his grave. You realize those were men who went out and did. They built. They were engineers. They were capable. That's what we need in this country. We, we have to read us. Well, we have the spirit. We have the spirit. Look at Elon Musk, the, the electric cars, this, that. We can do it. And these scientists are great. These young people are great. They're finding new ways to combine hydrogen with everything else which is amazing. Hydrogen could do so much work because nuclear can help hydrogen come into the world and be electrolyzed, right? There's so many uses. Still, we can, 
the world could be a beautiful place. That's what's amazing. It could be a beautiful place. We don't need conflict. We don't need this, uh, this pessimism. I guess pessimism is, is a sickness unto itself that uh, you felt it in the, uh, in, the, you know, in the age of the Black Plague in the third, 14th century Europe. They, we've had dark times and then we've had renaissances. So I pray for a renaissance. Well, look, I think it's a good sign that somebody like you uh, doing this project in such a unique way, Nuclear Now, having Oliver Stone, who's always known for owning his own material, working uh, with a noted professor in this space, uh, that, that shows an innovation that people wouldn't naturally think is coming. Professor, in terms of what you're hoping this film does most of all, what is it? Open up the space to have a, to put nuclear on the agenda so that you don't read article after article that just pretends it doesn't exist. And so that people don't just have a knee-jerk reaction, but can balance with their fears, with the risks, the benefits, and and have a conversation. The tagline of the movie is time to look again, not time to do what we say or, you know, time to build Russian reactors or something. You know, that's all secondary. We need to get the topic out of the shadows and put some light on it and get people comfortable talking about it. And that's the number one thing. I would say about this Hollywood thing and, and Oliver's reputation, um, I think he did a fantastic job on this. He traveled around the world. He learned all about a difficult topic. I was really impressed with it. And um, maybe maybe we had our ups and downs working on it, but overall it's been a, a wonderful journey for me and I've gotten to know him better. I think people who have some knee-jerk reactions about Oliver, this or that, don't don't really know him, haven't really put it all in perspective, but he's the one that was willing to go to put his neck on the line, you know, go out there and make this difficult movie about a topic that was sure to incite a lot of trouble and controversy. And I really appreciate that he alone among all the Hollywood directors was willing to, to take it on and do it. So um, congratulations to him. I think it's a great movie. Well, we're discussing energy. Uh, and when it comes to Oliver Stone, he has uh, the most precious form of energy in our culture, which is you'll get tons of opinions about him. Uh, and, and that's great because the energy is people pay attention to what Oliver Stone does. And hopefully or nuclear now, uh, hopefully is no different. And that people give it a fair reading. They don't like it. Let them try to counter it. And let's start a debate and a conversation because that's the only way uh, change happens. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So hopefully it starts with this film and some conversation that people like I can put to politicians. Ask them if they've seen it, ask them what their position is, ask them what it isn't, and we'll go from there. Oliver Stone, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, from, you, from a fan of this project and of your work, period. Thank you for the stories that you've told. Uh, and Professor Goldstein, good luck with everything and thank you for writing the book. Yeah, thanks for talking with us. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Oliver Stone has done a lot of controversial work, but boy, is he taking on a biggie in nuclear now. Are we leaving one of the biggest advantages on the table? Nuclear power. Check it out. 